Welcome to Market Scale Energy. I'm your host, Sean Heath. Today, I have the pleasure of having a conversation with Omid Badkobe, the co-founder and CEO of Yata. Omid, how are you today? I'm doing great. Nice to talk to you, Sean. I, it's good to talk to you as well. I, I hope that I pronounced all of those words there at the beginning. I don't want to start this uh, conversation off on the wrong foot. No, it was good. It's uh, Omid Badkobe, which you had pretty close, and the company's Yata Solar. We uh, kind of say Yata, though, in short. Now, do me a favor. Uh, that's a, a rather unique word to name your, your company after. Give me a, 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 an explanation as to what exactly that word means. Sure. So yata is a scientific term. It's 10 to the 24th degree. So there's exa, giga. Yata is the largest decimal prefix. And uh, a lot of people don't know the word, but if you're an astronomer or a physicist, you might be familiar with it. And the Earth receives approximately one yata joule of energy from the sun annually. And our goal of our mission of our company is to help capture that energy and store it as reliable electricity. Now, when, when most people think solar, they think either really expensive um, rooftop contraption in a price range that a normal homeowner would never be able to uh, afford, or mm-hmm. they think of those really large uh, publicity generating uh, solar farms that are built in China and other places around the globe. Those are really two very weird extremes, but there's right. a there's a medium point in the middle, correct? Yeah. So actually, the the solar market globally and nationally, in the United States has been growing exponentially over the last ten years. Um, when the f- technology was first invented or commercialized out of Bell Labs, it was around $76 a watt per module. So a typical module, th- say 300-watt module, would have cost you $150,000. Today, that same solar module, that same power, is a r- it's less than $150. So the price has actually come down uh, to close to $0.30 cents a watt, and it's made solar actually very economical, um, both on a residential home as well as a commercial building, and exceptionally so on a large scale, uh, what's referred to as utility scale or solar farm. Now, I was just doing some quick back-of-the-envelope calculations here, and by my math, almost all rooftops on the planet face the sky. And uh, based Mm -hmm. on some scientific papers that I've read, the sky is where we find the sun. So it seems as if it might be a good idea to utilize as much rooftop real estate as we can. But we're not doing that, are we? So there's a big debate over that, uh, whether we should just focus on doing these large-scale developments out in the middle of nowhere or actually locate solar modules and storage, which is our technology, directly on top of rooftops. Which is where you're going to use the energy. Exactly. So that's, that's where the benefit goes. So the moment that you create solar generation, which is the PV module, and you have a form or way of storing the energy, which is what we do, our product's called the solar leaf, then you establish what's called a microgrid. And the best place to put a microgrid is directly on top of the building of which you wish to power. Um, you know, the, the, the grid is the world's largest machine. It was created over 100 years ago, and it's always been created to flow energy in one direction, from a, from a centralized power plant outwards to all the homes and businesses and suburbs. What solar generation does is it completely changes 
that map. So now you have power coming in from many different sources, from many different rooftops. Really, storage, the ability to store the solar energy, completes that picture. Because now you have more of a reason to place solar generation on top of different buildings rather than having it some way, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, which kind of follows the tradition of the standardized power plant. Well, it seems like it'd be much more efficient to store the energy where you capture it. When you transfer energy from point A to point B, there is, by the laws of physics, some loss of that energy. Correct. And you have to expend some energy in order to propel the energy from point A to point B. That seems like it would be pretty logical to realize that's not an efficient program. Exactly. I mean, that's one part of it. Uh, But that's the whole reason why our grid system is an AC current. Uh, because in the higher voltages is to mitigate those losses. But what having distributed generation, which is referred to as solar and, and storage, what it enables is the ability, let's say there's an outage somewhere, and we've all been experiencing storms and different outages, whether you're in California, there's fires, if you're in the Gulf South, there's hurricanes, uh, there's ice storms up northeast. The ability and the reason of having solar and storage on individually on buildings is that when there is an outage, you have the ability to create a microgrid and the ability to run critical infrastructure or critical loads off of that system. And that's the other reason of why co-locating. There are many other also auxiliary benefits. Placing solar panels on a rooftop actually provides shading for the rooftop, so it helps cool down the, the loads that the building would otherwise experience. And the most important thing is it's, it's unusable, it's unused real estate. So if there's a commercial building and there's plenty of rooftop space, it now becomes a generation asset. And that's why a lot of utilities have really taken interest into the sector recently. Well, let's talk about the storage aspect, because it seems like the stories that I hear lately, they seem to lead me to believe that it took until this point to actually have storage that was efficient enough and economical enough to make it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. The, the energy is going to be there. You're not going, mm-hmm. We're not going to run out of sunlight anytime soon. And so it's right. about capturing as much as you can on a, as consistent a basis as you can, but then you wind up with a situation of where do we store all this energy? Right. Is the form factor of the way we store solar energy evolving quickly? Is it stagnant? Where Where is that part of the process? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. So that's what we address. So we've um, cost has been one of the biggest barriers. But outside of cost, you have to look at the co- what is the difficulty of implementing storage. A lot of the leading companies in the space are all kind of going to the architecture of a shipping container. So let's put batteries inside a shipping container and co-locate that next to a building. And we came at this, uh, we set out on a mission to simplify how do you add energy storage to solar projects, and we went completely the other direction. Uh, We went outside of the box. We, We said, let's figure out a way to put batteries directly behind solar panels. We can actually utilize the dead space that's already existing behind a solar module. We're able to utilize the same infrastructure, the racking, the wiring that will already be installed. And now we have the ability to store solar energy without having to take up any footprint on a building. So it's a very different approach. And we believe that making something simpler and more accessible 
is one of the driving forces of reducing the cost. And that's what our product addresses. I just realized that you mentioned utilities a moment ago, and it just now registered in my brain that if you were to devise an extremely efficient solar energy capture storage system, mm-hmm. that that would take business away from the utilities. It doesn't seem to me like they'd be extremely happy about that. It's the opposite. So <laughs> utilities, so solar by itself does take business away from utilities. You know, if, if, if you as a homeowner or you as a building owner invest in solar modules and you start producing your own kilowatt hours, that's every kilowatt hour that you produce during the day is a kilowatt hour that the utility is not selling to you, right? Storage completely changes that. Yes, those utilities that, that don't invest in this future, that don't believe in the technologies, they will be left behind. But a lot of them are coming around and realizing that they need, need to be a part of this equation. So with solar energy, you have a high upfront product that pays out dividends through a, over a 25-year period, right? It's no better product f- for an investment for a utility to make. So where we see the direction going is the utilities will actually be developing these projects themselves. They will lease or rent rooftop space from commercial building owners. In exchange, the building owners would get discounted utility rates, they reduce their demand charges, and they get backup power during an outage. And the utility will have this ability to have this small-scale power plant that they can then control that power and offset it when it's at the highest price points. So with utilities starting to invest and, and develop some of these, these solar and storage assets, that seems like it would help them change their dependence from, say, fossil fuels to solar as hopefully at some point flip the scale enough to where solar becomes their primary source of energy generation. Is that even a possibility? That is, but you need storage to come down in price and to be more accessible for that to be a possibility. So what a lot of people don't realize, you can't have a certain percentage of renewables. You can't completely remove coal and natural gas because those serve as what's called peaker plants, right? And the unique thing about coal and natural gas is it almost works like a battery system for the, for the grid system. When there is peaks in demand, uh, which happen almost every day from 3 to 6 p.m. or in the peak of the summer, they are able to gen- turn on these plants within 30 minutes uh, of uh, schedule to produce that excess power. So renewables have always been intermittent. Now that you have storage, you are able now to displace the need for turning on those peak or power plants. So it's very much so. St- storage has to be figured out for us to actually move to 100% renewable energy. And the unique thing is, you know, here in Texas, we have one of the biggest markets for electricity. Um, and we, we sell and buy so much electricity that we have a lower price point than pretty much anywhere else in the world. But even here in Texas, this last summer, during the peak, peak demands, we reached $9 per kilowatt hour. So there was a period of time where the utilities were paying $9 per kilowatt hour and turning around and selling it for $0.09. Cents. So they were losing a lot of money during that period of time. That's why they want to invest in energy storage, because now... They can have these systems which they can pump out power at at a much lower rate as compared to what the market's at. 
Okay, let's put this into traditional homeowner numbers that, that would make sense to me. So I have a solar leaf system. Mm-hmm. I, I I get as much real estate on my roof covered with panels, and I'm I'm at the max that can I can realistically deploy. I have a three let's say a three bedroom, uh, two bath, just a normal one story house. Right. What percentage of my kids' Wi Fi usage and internet and TV and refrigerator and washing machine? What percentage of my energy needs could I realistically supplement with solar? Yeah, you could go all the way up to 100%. So that, that's a, we get that question a lot within the industry. It's, it's equivalent to asking, let's say I have a four-cylinder car, and if I'm driving, how, fa- how fuel efficient is it? It really depends on how fast you're driving, what the conditions are. The same thing to a home. So two different homes can be built uh, very differently and how well they're built with a type of windows and efficiency. But the main thing to think about is energy um, is a live asset. It changes prices minute by minute. In the Texas markets, which we're all used to, the utilities are still selling it at one set price, unless you're in the, as a commercial owner. So as a homeowner, you kind of pay for electricity at a set price, and the utility does all the trading of that energy back and forth and then they turn around and sell it to you. But in other markets, like in California, there's what's referred to as time of use rate. So as a homeowner, you actually pay for power at different prices at different times of the day. And in a market like that, if you have solar and you have energy you, and storage, you can actually store your solar energy when the, when the prices are l- cheaper and export it during the peak times. So you can actually use your system to start generating income from your home. Now, us as a company, we are actually kind of focused on the commercial building space. There are a lot of great products that are designed for the residential space, like the Tesla Powerwall and LG Chem Battery. We as a company are kind of focused on commercial buildings. How do we get the most uh, storage out of a commercial building? Which is the most logical way to approach it because of the funding necessary for a project. You actually do the, the beta testing, the trial and error, and the learning in a larger corporate structure where the cost can be absorbed. And then once you figure out exactly the most efficient way to deploy the technology and the protocols, then you can scale that as needed to the appropriate sized home. I mean, that seems like the smartest way to approach the problem. Right. You know, your listeners are probably familiar with that legislation that recently passed in California requiring all new homes to be either built with solar or designed to integrate solar. And that's a big thing for the industry because, you know, at some point in the future, not having solar modules on your home would seem out of place the same way not having an HVAC system in your home would seem out of place. So the technology it has caught down in price. And it's just gotten to the point where it's, you know, it doesn't make sense at some point not to do it. Now, when I think solar, I think uh, data. I think technologically advanced. So here's a, here's a question. Sure. Hypothetically, we can assume more or less exactly how much electricity can be generated by one barrel of oil. Mm-hmm. But that seems sort of um, ethereal. It's more or less not exact. It's, it seems to me that solar would be something that you can measure from the moment it exists. The moment it's captured, you can mm-hmm. start calculating 
and generating the data necessary to know exactly how much energy is being generated at any given moment, sunny days, cloudy right. days. Is that, is that true? Is that right? So yes and no. So it's not as exact as taking exactly how much it can generate, but you have actual calculators. So um, there is one called PV Watts. It's developed by the National Renewable Energy Laboratories. And it actually looks at 20 years of historical weather patterns and then data from 20 years in the past. So you can't predict what the intensity of the sun will be. You can't predict whether there's going to be a storm or not, but you can actually get relatively close. And there's been so many advances in the technology. Um, speaking of data, we now have the ability to go in live data and see what each solar module is producing. And it's gotten pretty close to getting accurate um, of what you can expect. If you invest in a system, whether it's for your home or business, you can get within a 5% margin of error of exactly how much energy that system's going to produce over the next 25 years. Well, Omid, I appreciate you taking the time. I am definitely going to keep an eye on this. It's very interesting uh, and important to me to lower my electricity bill. As I mentioned, perhaps you noticed, I have teenage children and there's an right. awful lot of electricity usage happening in my general vicinity you know definitely uh, on the residential side to all your listeners and yourself when you're in the market for shopping for solar make sure you get at least four quotes um, ask questions ask for referrals like all new growing industries there are those out there that are just trying to make a quick buck and then there are those honest companies that are here for the long term so uh any growing industry will have that. I encourage people to definitely price around and, and ask for referrals when you're shopping for solar. Well, today's has been my pleasure to have a conversation with the co-founder and CEO of Yata, Omid Badkube. Omid, thank you so much for taking the time today. This was really interesting. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.